Good morning, church. Good morning. Um, yeah, it's a, it a blessed day. Um, the Lord is going to speak. <laughs> the Lord is going to speak either way. Um, we, will, um, we will have a service next Sunday as well. Um, totally understand if uh, people aren't available and got other things going on, being that it is. Huh? Oh, time correction too. Yeah, service is at 1030 as normal. Um, it'll be a modified service. I know that's hard for some of you to believe because I'm long-winded, but we will go short. Um, and, uh, you know, but it's, uh, we're, 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 I just prayed about it and the Lord laid it on my heart to keep this, keep this building available for people um, on Christmas Day. You know, why not? I mean, it's, you know, we're celebrating the birth of our, our Savior and our Lord. So, um, that's for next week. So anyone around, if you feel like coming in, please come in. If not, it's all good. No, no harm done. Um, but we, me and my wife and my children will be here for sure next week. Um, yeah, I heard a great message this morning and, uh, you know, the pastor is talking about, uh, whether you want to call them the wise men, the magi. Uh, so in Persia back in the day, way, way back in the day, 2000 years ago, um, not astrology, astronomy, the study of stars, right? is a big difference. That was a big deal back then. The people who studied the stars, they were the most powerful people in the land. Uh, even if uh, a king, king of Persia wanted to become king, he would have to study as these astronomers studied in order to have the right to become king. And so when God supernaturally put that star in the sky and revealed to these astronomers that the Son of Man was going to be born. It was such a big deal. I share that because as, as uh, Michelle was, was talking about how the shepherds, it was revealed to the shepherds. If you know anything about shepherds in Israel back then, they were of the lowliest class. Um, they would you know, consider them, I don't want to say it because it's disrespectful, but, you know, they worked a very menial job. It'd be like someone, uh, we, we, we say someone who is a, a, a custodian, we give them that title to try to esteem them and give them uh, credibility, but someone who would like to, you know, degrade them would just call them a janitor. Oh man, you just clean, you just wash stuff. You're you're no good. You don't have a a higher upper job. The shepherds were like that, but lower, right? And so back then they wouldn't have much education at all. So they didn't necessarily understand about the star. The magist the magistrate did. The wise men, <laughs> they understood because they stuttered studied astronomy. Excuse me, but this is how much the Lord loves people and wants his creation to come back and uh, be redeemed is that he did not only reveal himself to these wise men who again uh, they were uh, they weren't uh, gen uh, they were Gentiles they weren't Jewish people so he revealed himself to the Gentiles Persians he also revealed himself to his own people who were the lowly shepherds and he revealed himself to them through an angel so it's just very cool how we see the Lord's heart, even way back then in all of this, where his desire is that none perish, but all come to repentance. Amen. With that, um, we'll be wrapping up the book of Haggai this morning. Uh, Daniel did a very good job. He was used in a mighty way last week and brought us uh, through the beginning of chapter two. And this morning we'll wrap up. So we'll be in Haggai chapter two, verses 10 down through 23. And this message is entitled Blessings for a defiled people. And this is what I love about uh, the Word of God. You see, obviously, this time of year, this season, 
the Christmas season, we really hone in on, on, on Jesus. But if you're really living the Christian life, if you're really a follower of Jesus Christ, then it's every day you live. If it's August, if it's July, if it's May, <laughs> every part of Scripture points to Jesus. Everything in the text always reveals that Christ is the true and living God. There are none like Him. No one can claim that they have the, the understanding and the wisdom and the knowledge that, that, that Christ has. And so in our text this morning, you'll see once again, it's all about Jesus. So in a sense, this could be your Christmas sermon or message if you want it to be. It's always Christmas because it's all about who? Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So uh, when you get there, please, if you could, and your able body, stand for the reading of God's word. We'll read. I'll pray, and then we'll get into our message. Once again, we're in Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 down through 23. If you don't have a Bible handy, uh, the scripture should be on the screen behind me or on uh, any one of those monitors. So it says, on the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Now then consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you in all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations, overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shelatiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for your revelation of yourself or the true nature of who you are. Thank you that you are holy, meaning you are set apart from your creation. But in the same instance, you desire fellowship with us. And so you gave your only begotten son as the perfect 
offering, the perfect sacrifice so that we could be redeemed. Lord God, we praise you for all of your goodness, Lord, and we ask that you would have full reign and full control in this building, Lord, that you would speak words of truth through me, Lord, and that uh, all ears would be receptive to your truth. I pray that your word would fall on fertile ground, Lord, and that it would take root and it would produce hundredfold what you've called it to do. Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. So last week, uh, we were encouraged of how the Lord is with his people. I don't know what your week's been like. I don't know what you've gone through, good or bad. But if you are truly a follower of Jesus Christ, the presence of the Lord has been with you every step of the way. In everything that you've gone through, he's been there. He's been there to comfort you. He's been there to encourage you. And just maybe he's been there to even convict you and, and, and rebuke you and, and to point you back in the right direction if you've gotten off, off track at all. You see, the Lord of hosts is not bound by anything. He's not bound by, by time. He lives outside of space and time, out of this three-dimensional world. He created the dirt that made the mountains. He's not bound by human resources or human reasoning, the way that our intellect tends to think. We have a finite mind. We can only conceive and think of so much. <laughs> but he has an infinite amount of wisdom. He's not bound by our, 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 our narrow-mindedness, if you will. He's not even bound by a lack of people. As we see in our text, this, we're, we're speaking of the remnant of Israel. As Daniel uh, illustrated last week, there was only a very small fraction that came back from Persia. And uh, even you, you think of uh, you know, the, the, the manger and the baby Jesus, as Daniel pointed out last week, through one man, 100% God, 100% man, he shaped the world to be what it is. Redemption found in him and him alone. He didn't need to come with a bunch. He came with one, the one perfect son, the God-man Jesus Christ. You see, we were reminded time and time again of how the Lord God Almighty works through the minimalists of people. Even today, as you look around, I hate to have to say it, but the reality is the church has become watered down. Churches become watered down and reduced to sensation of uh, sensationalism and, and feeling good and emotional move of things where emotions play a role, but we serve the Lord Jesus Christ out of obedience, not out of emotion. That's the whole point of long-suffering love. What does it cost you to love? It costs the Lord his life. It costs him everything. If you truly love someone, you understand what long-suffering love is about because long-suffering love is not this puppy dog feeling of emotion it is it's difficult and it's brutal at times and it's very painful but love costs you something true love biblical love costs you something we were reminded last week that the lord will and this is this is an encouragement and i i, I pray that it will bless you to be reminded of this because i know every time i hear this it remind it, it blesses me all the time but the lord will accomplish everything that he has said in his word in his perfect timing he will accomplish it so the things that have not yet been fulfilled he's still going to do that I don't know if I should get into it now, but I had a conversation with a, with a co-worker of mine and it struck me because this young lady asked me in passing about 
Christianity. She didn't know how to phrase it, but she was curious about, are there different forms of churches? And I told her, it's all about Jesus Christ. (laughs) You know, denominations is a man-made thing, but it's all about Jesus Christ because it's him and him alone who saves. We're saved by grace through faith, so we can't boast of anything in and of ourselves. And it struck me when this, when this co-worker of mine asked me this, because, you know, in my mind, one of the way I think, it's like people that don't know about Jesus Christ, oh, it's somewhere in some third world country somewhere where they don't have irrigation and they don't have the amenities of the country of the United States. But here or there, I work in San Jose, in San Jose, California, there are people that do not know the basic principles of who Jesus Christ is in 2020. So I share that to say, he is going to come through. He is going to come back in his second advent. We must think to ourselves, so ask the Lord, well, why is it that you have not come back? Well, clearly, if there is a young lady in San Jose, California, that does not know the basics of Christianity, true Christianity, of who Jesus Christ really is and what it means to be redeemed and saved, and his desire is that none perish, but that all come to repentance, then that's the reason why he hasn't come back yet. Because you and I, saints, are his hands and his feet. And his desire is that we move in accordance with the Holy Spirit and spread the gospel of truth to those who are perishing. Amen? Again, remember when he promised to free Israel from their captivity in Egypt? It took a long time. <laughs> it took a long time by human thought. But the Lord came through and he redeemed Israel and took them out of captivity in Egypt. That's just one example. You see, it is a remarkable thing to trust in the Lord with all your heart and to lean not on your own understanding. When you really start to get that down in your soul and you're like, I'm trusting in you, Lord. I'm not leaning on my intellect because, you know, there are many trains of thought in the world today that are trying to manipulate and twist and turn and to pull you in any direction other than true Christianity. And by the world standard, it may not make sense. And by the world standard, your situation may not make sense this morning. You see, I don't like, I have a righteous indignation for a gospel that's preached when people, when pastors say, come to Jesus Christ and everything is going to get better. Now, everything does get better in the sense that you have eternal life and things do get better in the sense that now you serve the almighty God and the favor of God upon your life is what you want or you should desire the most. But that doesn't mean that everything is easy peasy lemon squeezy. It does not mean that your life is now a bed of roses and it's all Mickey Mouse and, and, and Donald Duck and Daisy and, and Minnie and everything is candy corn and, 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 and cotton candy. That's not real Christianity. In fact, you coming to Christ on his terms will probably bring more problems to your life because he reveals the muck and the grime and the grit that's really in your heart. And you have to come face to face with that and surrender it all over to him. And you may have people that reject you, closest ones to you reject you because your profession of faith causes that. He said, I came to divide (laughs) mother and father, sister and brother. That's what he said. That's what he said, because he wants allegiance alone. Not mommy's number one, not daddy's number one, not hubby's number one. No, Jesus Christ is number one in my heart. And that causes conflict within relationships here. We all have to learn to bow down to him alone. And then really your family unit actually thrives better when you put Christ first. 
But as long as some other person or some grandchild or somebody or some dog or some job is sitting on the throne of your heart, you will never experience the true meaning of what a relationship, an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ is all about. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Always wanted to say that. <laughs> you know, um, again, to walk through this life by faith and not by sight. <laughs> to walk by faith and not by sight. You see, the secular world doesn't understand that. Why would you do the things that you do as a Christian? Because we walk by faith and not by sight. Because it's not about what's in your bank account. It's not about what that person looks like on the other side of the street. If you're moved by the Holy Spirit to do, then you do. And you trust that the Lord is going to provide your every need. Not your every want, not your every desire, but your every need. And if he does give you something that you may desire, it's only because now he is actually internally changing your desires from a selfish, fleshly thing into something that would honor and glorify him. And so he entrusts you with material things. He entrusts you with wealth because he knows that you're going to steward it well. Or he's going to trust you with children or grandchildren or children of the faith. As you disciple young believers because he understands and he knows that you are going to steward those people well. But he never says, I'm going to just give you what you want. Our hearts are deceitfully wicked. If you really got what you wanted in your flesh, you probably wouldn't be alive today. You probably you would definitely wouldn't be up in the church house. You would be off somewhere engaged in activity that is very carnal and costly to your soul. You see, the Lord God also foretold the remnant of Israel that the latter glory of his temple would be greater than the prior. And we learned this last week. We learned about this last week, again, as Daniel taught you know, Solomon and what he brought, all the splendor. He had so much resources to pull from, and that temple was so great and magnificent, but it came to ruins. And what the, the, the remnant didn't understand in the moment was Jesus was, or excuse me, God the Father was not speaking of a physical temple, even though the physical temple was going to be rebuilt. He was talking about the glory and the splendor of his son, Jesus Christ, and that that glory would supersede any previous glory. I love the title from last week, Old Glory, New Glory, God's Glory. It's all about God's glory. You know, we don't want to be those kind of Christians that were like, oh, yeah, you know, back in 1975 when I was riding hard, we were doing all this and that. I was like, no, man, last week, this is what popped off in my life. And you should have a story to share about what's going on. It shouldn't just be this this old thing. Remember, new wine and old wineskins doesn't work. Our Lord is all about a new, fresh work. He's always wanting to do something new and fresh in your life and in my life. But we have to remember we need to be pliable, moldable, and shapeable, right? Like the clay in the, on the potter's wheel. The clay don't talk back and says, potter, I want to be like this. I want to be like that. You see, our hearts aren't in the right place when we're talking back to the Lord like that. Our hearts should be, Lord, what would your will be? And may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done in my life. And then we go about, about our Father's business. That's the response that we should have as followers of Jesus Christ. You see, this must have seemed impossible to those elders again. They came out of captivity and they were very old at the time and they remember the former glory. But remember, 
All of us, we need to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ and what is going on currently and what he's looking to do in the future. We don't want to be those kind of Christians that are like, well, yeah, you know, back in the day, again, yeah, that's good. Those things are good. Praise God for them. But there's something new and fresh that the Lord wants to do in your life and my life today. Think about that for a minute. What is the Lord trying to do in your life now? (laughs) What is he touching on where he's like, son, daughter, I'm trying to raise you up to do this. Think about it. Because he is trying to tap in to all of us to encourage us to move forward in some kind of a new work. I challenge you to take him up on that offer. This fulfillment of the glory being greater than ever before, this is only going to happen when the Prince of Peace returns in the clouds of glory and sets his feet on the Mount of Olives to bring his millennial millennial kingdom and peace and true prosperity, biblical prosperity, godly prosperity, not this worldly thing, not this convoluted mixture, because we hear that a lot too in the church. Yes, he wants to prosper. Look at Abram, or should I say Abraham. He was blessed. He was very rich by by, uh, the world standards. Back then it was all about your livestock. He had a vast amount. So yes, the Lord wants to prosper, but again, it has to do with stewardship. He'll prosper you if it's his will and his desire to do so, and he'll give you the ability to steward it well. But again, we have to remember being blessed to the Lord really has nothing to do with financial means at all. You can be filthy rich by the world standards and not be blessed to the Lord. And you could be living in Section 8 housing on food stamps with EBT cards and be so blessed by the Lord that, man, you just, you, it just, you know. It just falls off on people around you because you have the favor of God. So don't ever let your circumstances try to dictate your blessing of the Lord. Favor is what you want. You can be stricken with stage four cancer and be blessed of the Lord. You see, it's so real because it's not about your circumstances. It's about where you are with the Lord in your circumstance. That's what it's about. Do you have that 5G connection with Jesus Christ? To where no matter what goes on in your life, you and him are like this, like this, or are you miles apart? (laughs) That is the difference. And we all want to be like glue stuck to him, where we become inseparable. And it doesn't matter, hell or high water, Jesus Christ is our Lord, and we are going to be blessed and have his favor. Amen? Amen? All right, we have several main points this morning, and the first one is this. Oh, praise God for this. The Lord is so, so patient (laughs) with us, wanting us to repent and turn back to him. If if this ain't the Christmas message, I don't know what is. This is what I'm saying. It doesn't doesn't matter where you land in the Bible. You're going to get the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're going to get the good news. You're going to get the message of Christ. It may not come in the form of Jesus in a manger today, but you're still going to get Jesus Christ all embodied in this whole thing. But the Lord is so patient with us that he's desires for us to t- repent and turn back to him. Remember, in, in our context, in the portion of scripture where we're at in Haggai, the remnant of Israel, they had returned from Babylonian captivity. The temple laid in ruins. Now, to not bash them, because I, I guess sometimes I, 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 I sense that I, you know, I can be personally a little harsh on on, on the, 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 the people that I see in the Bible, but it's like, I got to look at my own life and be like, oh yeah, okay, Lord, I get what you're saying. <laughs> but it's like to give them some credit, 
They had made this difficult commitment to leave their familiar circumstances back in Persia and return to the promised land. Remember, it wasn't an easy thing because a lot of them had plush lives in Persia compared to what they were going to go back to going back to the promised land. They had it somewhat easy in Persia, easier than it was going to be going back to the promised land. Many became passive, content, and even lazy with their comfortable living in Persia. But for the remnant that did return, they were supposed to get back to work and rebuild the temple. That was one of the main things they were supposed to do. Like, get to work and do what you got to do. Rebuild my temple to restore my glory amongst you in that way. But they encountered strong opposition from the Samaritans and other peoples in the land and the project came to a screeching halt. So instead of getting busy on the, uh, on the work of the temple, they started building their own houses. This is kind of just, I'm trying to bring us back up to, to speed on where we're at in this, in this context. And the temple got set to the side. This happened for about 15 or 16 years. <laughs> 15 or 16 years, they said, no, we're not doing the Lord's work. We're doing our own personal renovation of our own homes. You see, and then the Lord raised up Haggai with this message. It's found in Haggai chapter 1, verse 4. Is this a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lays in ruins? The Lord is so gracious and he's so patient with us. I mean, just think about it. <laughs> you know, think about it in your own life, straight up. 15, 16 years of a loved one, someone that you love dearly. And 15, 16 years straight, man, they're just, for lack of better words, screwing around, not doing what they're supposed to be doing, totally in rebellion, you know, not just not living the way you are showing them to live or the way that they're supposed to live with you in fellowship with you. Instead, they're living selfishly for themselves. You see, many of us, we would have given up by year two or three. Keep it real. I just keep it real. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that you're able to endure something like that for that extent of time and still be like, man, I'm interceding for you. I'm praying for you. I'm loving you with a right heart kind of love, right? That long suffering love. You see, but the great I am, the God of all gods, the king of all kings, he demonstrates once again what true long suffering love looks like. He waited until he fully got their attention. And that's the same with us today. The Lord will wait and wait and wait if we continue to play games and play church and, you know, one foot in, one foot out. But you see, there's going to come a time where we're only going to hear it one more time. Come back and repent. You know, that's just real. Today is the day of the Lord. Today, if you hear the Lord's voice, do not harden your heart. Because you don't know, I don't know how much time I have left. I can leave this building and get hit by a car going home. I use that analogy a lot because it's just the reality. Been hit by cars before. So it doesn't, it's not something that I think can't happen. (laughs) You know, you could drop dead of a stroke in a heartbeat. I'm not being doom and gloom. I'm saying we don't control the time that we are living. And many of us act like we just got all the time in the world and we vacillate back and forth thinking that we can just do whatever. I'm not saying don't enjoy your life. Don't enjoy the things that the Lord has provided for you. What I'm saying is put him first in all of your dealings as if he is right here right now, right before you 
when you're in the privacy of your own home, when you're clicking through things on the, on the guide and on the whatever, Xfinity, live as if he's right there, seeing what you're thinking about watching. When you're doing your business dealings, when you're at work and whatever, that coworker that comes around not, not looking right, <laughs> you can tell there's something shifty about them. Act as if the Lord's right there, because he is, you see. It's this kind of walking circumspect with the Lord that helps us to live in a godly way above reproach, that we can have fellowship with God unhindered by the marring effects of sin. But when we get loosey-goosey with it and we just start thinking, well, I got my ticket to heaven. No, the, the, the grace of God should cause us more and more to want to honor him and how we live in every dealing, in every aspect of life. Amen? Amen. It is so true. We cannot be the salt of the earth and not walk circumspectly. <laughs> he, he, Jesus said, if the salt loses its flavor, what is it going to do? It's tossed out. It's going to go into a dung heap. It could be trampled underfoot as if it was worthless. That should not be your Christian testimony. That should not be my Christian testimony of who Jesus Christ is. You want to be salty. <laughs> you know, in the modern urban terms, salty is not a good thing. But in the Christian life, to be salty is a good thing. Because salt preserves. Salt brings flavor. How many people are searching for flavor in their life in this world? Think about your family. Think about your coworkers. Think about your friends that aren't saved. Everybody's looking for something. It's interesting to me how every influencer and every YouTuber, everybody wants to be followed. <laughs> Follow Christ. I don't need no followers. I don't, I don't engage in none of that stuff because the Lord already knows that will mess me up. I need to be off that stuff. I need to follow Christ. But see, all those people are searching for something. They're searching for recognition. They're searching to be, you know, put in a certain light by other people. All you need to do is have the audience of one and your life benefits so much. I can go on and on, but I got to get back to this or else we won't get to the points. All right. Uh, second main point. Is, oh, I'm sorry. Well. The right intention is very important. That's the second main point. Not only should we seek the kingdom of God first, but we must do so with a pure heart. You know, we must do so with a pure heart. We've got to have a right motive of why we're doing what we're doing. And we can only have a right motive if we go before the Lord and He does that internal work within our hearts and shows us what the right way is. And then we begin to develop a heart that is bent towards God and not bent inwardly towards our selfish ambition. Right intention is very important. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You see, it's so sad when people seek God, but they seek God for stuff. Or they seek God because they want to be married. I want to be married. You know, I hang around with a group of guys a long time ago before I was married to Veronica, and, and, and that was part of the course. I want to be married. Do you even realize what marriage entails, man? Man, it's a lot. You lose so much of yourself. I'm speaking from a selfish standpoint. I'm just being realistic. You know, a lot of times people don't realize what they're signing up for when they're getting married. And do your research. Know who you're marrying. Don't just go in, because then you're like, man, 
I didn't know you had all this going on. I'm with you. You didn't say that when we were dating. Well, that's what I'm saying. Again, walk circumspectly. Amen. That is the truth. We must in all of our dealings test the spirit discernment. How we need discernment so much within the church today, because too many Christians are walking around like chicken heads. No idea what's going on. Spiritually illiterate, illiterate of the Bible and wonder why they don't understand how much time are we spending in fellowship with the Lord? And I'm not saying you need to go to seminary. I'm not saying you need to be writing down three point sermons every week, but there should be a healthy time of spending in the word of God. He says faith comes by hearing. So that's one thing. Your faith grows as you hear. And then as you hear, it's going to develop in you a desire to want to be in his word. That's what's going on with my son. Yet last night he was like, can I read tonight? And I'm like, sure. It's the first time he said that. I've been praying for him since before he was born. I've been reading to him since he was born or before he was born when he was in Veronica's stomach. And yesterday it's like this happened. And we had this conversation this morning. The same exact thing I just said. I said, son, it's because faith comes by hearing the word. I said, bro, you hear so much scripture. You can't help but grow in your faith. Now your heart is developing to the point where you want to get in for yourself. And he understands it because he's like, I need to understand it for myself. I said, exactly, son. You can't. God God has no grandchildren. (laughs) Let's get that across real quick. He only has children. You can't piggyback off mommy, daddy, grandma, grandpa. No, 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 you can't. It's a good thing to have those pillars there to build you up as you grow. But every person has to come to the revelation of Christ on their own. Amen. It is the truth. You see, the Lord wanted the remnant of Israel to consider their ways so that they could see for themselves that they were getting off track. The rebuilding of the temple wasn't some mechanical exercise though it wasn't meant to be done simply to check off some list on a box it also didn't mean that god was just going to do something for them because they rebuilt the temple we have to understand god is going to naturally bless us or bless them because of their obedience but this is not what i'm getting at here the lord wanted them to consider their ways so that they could take a closer look at their own hearts What were their hearts full of? What were they living for? When they truly took the time to examine themselves, they would come to the correct conclusion and repent. When they really looked at what was going on and how they were building all their homes, and mind you, some of them had more than one home. They had a home, vacation home, (laughs) and the temple laid in ruins. So when the Lord finally got to them and they considered their ways, they would be overwhelmed with shame and guilt and convicted because it's like, man, look what I'm doing. And look at your work, Lord. I didn't put your work first. And that's the same thing in our lives. This change of mind back to the the things of God first would be the turning point to put them in a position to actually be able to rebuild the temple with a pure heart because it wasn't enough to just rebuild the temple. They had to rebuild the temple with a right heart. It's not enough for us to go seek out the lost, but we need to go seek them with the right heart and with the right motive and led by the Holy spirit. That's why all this running around, it does no good unless your heart is right. And my heart is right. And the Holy spirit is leading us. We, we had this big idea, me and Veronica, we, we, we had this desire. We wanted to do something, you know, kind of grand for next Sunday. 
And our hearts were in the right place, but it wasn't the Lord's will. And it got confirmed by many different conversations we had. And so it became something just a little small, solemn, hey, we're just going to open up the church house and whoever wants to come, come. But it was a great testimony to the Lord because that's how it should go. You have a desire, you put it before the Lord, you pray about it, then you look for confirmation. And if the Lord doesn't confirm it, then he doesn't confirm it. But it's like, we're not tripping. It's like, we would have wasted, you know, a couple hundred dollars on food and all this stuff. And we just would have went headstrong and said, we're doing it, we're doing it. Don't make no sense. We have to go by the Lord. And this is how, again, having a pure heart, having a right motive. But it, 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 help, it, it, it takes us reflecting, asking the Lord, show me what it is you would have me to do. And then the Lord confirms, just like them here in our text this morning. You see, God was after all along their heart. It was always a heart condition. It's always a heart condition with us. When their hearts were right with him, he could bless them richly with his provisions of every kind. And the same goes for us today. It's the intimate, personal revelation of Jesus Christ's convicting truth that we, come, that we become aware of. That's what transforms us from the inside out. It's a personal revelation that you have that you cannot shake he reveals your, himself to you and you get it and you're just like, wow, okay, Lord, so what do we do next? And he shows you what to do. Then and only then will we be able to serve him with a pure heart and correct motives. And the third and final main point this morning is this. God's blessing is the most important thing in the life of a believer. His blessing, God's blessing, God's favor. We first need to have a biblically correct definition of what blessing truly means. Because nowadays, to be blessed means all kind of things to all kind of different people. Uh, you know, hashtag blessed. I don't, I don't even know what hashtag means. I guess I'm, age, I'm dating myself. I don't even know what that's representative. But I've, I hear all the time, hashtag blessed. What, what, what do you mean blessed? <laughs> hashtag blessed by what, bro? You got a car? I mean, I get it. Yeah, that's, that's cool. The Lord does give monetarily. But again, how can you truly, richly enjoy any kind of blessing in your life if your heart's not right? If you're not honoring and serving the true and living God who is blessing you? You know, Satan can provide you with things too. <laughs> Don't forget who the prince of this world is. <laughs> you know, he's been given uh, authority to have domain in this area for, you know, a certain amount of time. So sometimes just because we get in financial stuff doesn't necessarily mean it's coming from the hand of God. And we have to remember that, saints. Blessing in the Bible suggests an intimate relationship between the blesser and the blessed. That's what blessed means. Intimate relationship with him. <laughs> now, if you have that and you are head and shoulders above what anything this world can give you because you're blessed beyond measure. That's what I was talking about before. You could have stage four cancer and be blessed of the Lord. And it's like, you know, yes, the grief and all that. Yes, that's all natural. That's, those are things that are going to happen. But in your heart of hearts, you know you're going to be good because you're like, man, sweet by and by. <laughs> this ain't my home. This ain't my home. I'm a pilgrim. I'm here for a short while and my life is going to disappear like a mist, like a vapor. And I'm going to be with them for eternity forever forever how many evers are in forever ever <laughs> it don't end and also again to be blessed a blessing from god marks an intimate relationship between god and man or woman serving as proof that he finds himself or herself in god's favor 
You see, you can be blessed by the Lord and be poor by this world's standards. You can also be blessed by the Lord and be given stewardship, as I said earlier, over many worldly possessions. There are plenty of people that are uber wealthy and that are solid foundational Christians. They stand for Judeo-Christian doctrine. They don't compromise. They don't twist. They don't convolute the word of God. And there's plenty of poor people that are super not blessed. (laughs) They are some of the most miserly, nasty people you'll ever meet because it has to do with your heart. But in the end, all is this. Without God's blessing, all of our work ends in frustration, regardless if we are rich or poor by the world's standards. You see, they went into their storehouse of grain and they expected to find 20 measures, but they only found 10. They expected to draw 50 measures of wine, but they only found 20. They planted expecting crops, but the wind and the mildew and the hail destroyed their harvest. In Leviticus chapter 26, God spells out for Israel the blessing that he would bring on them if they would obey him. See, obey, obedience, that is always the kicker. That is always at the heart of relationship with Jesus Christ is obedience. But he shows, as well as curses that would come upon them if they were disobedient. And this stands for us today. If they obeyed, God promised that Five Israelites would chase 100 enemies away and 100 would chase away 10,000. That's crazy. Leviticus Leviticus chapter 26, verse 8. I'll just read it. And it says, five of you shall chase 100 and 100 of you shall chase away 10,000 and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. I mean, if if God be for you, who be against you? You see, but that, that, that only works. (laughs) That only applies if you and I are living in obedience to him. If you're living in obedience, you don't have to walk around in dread or shame of anybody. It doesn't matter who's talking any kind of smack. You don't have to be walking in fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. Who's perfect love? Jesus Christ. He casts it all out. It's like when this room is dark, when I come in here in the morning and I flick on those two lights in the back, that darkness flees. And instantly we have this artificial light. It's the same thing spiritually. Darkness has to run when Christ is in the building. When Christ is in your heart and you're living obedient to him, man, can't no dumb demonic thought, can't no, and that stuff can't mess with you. But obedience is key. It's king. You see, this, uh, this, 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 what we see in Leviticus chapter 26, 8, this is out of proportion to any kind of human explanation. The only explanation was God's blessing. His blessing gives results that are out of proportion to human ability, calculations, or effort. Think about your life and think about the many times where you've been blessed, but on paper it don't make sense. It don't make sense, but God brought you through. Why? Because the supernatural act of God supersedes man's ability to to do anything and put God in a box. Too many times we don't give God the ability to be supernatural and we say, It's got to be in this time frame, in this way, in this way. And that's where you have all of this breakdown within the church. There should never be breakdown of denominations. There should never be. I get why there was a black church back in the day. There should be no all black church. There should be no all Asian church. The heck? God's people are God's people. If you really trace it back, there is one race. The human race. Exactly. So what we're being fed and being taught... (laughs) through the universities and through the schools on up is not correct. It's caused to divide. What does Satan do? Seek to kill and destroy. So that again, it, it's just, it's just mind blowing. It blows my mind. It's just crazy. 
We can get into some other stuff I can share with you on the other side, but yeah, it's just it's just too real. Okay, let's get into these verses. 10 through 14, it says, On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat into the fold of his garment and touches it with uh, the fold of bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said no. Then Haggai said, If someone comes who is unclean by contact with a dead body, touches any of these things, does, uh, does it become unclean? And the priest answered and said, It does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So it is with these people. And with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer, there is unclean. So what we really need to focus in on here is these statements. Will it become holy? Will it become unclean? You see, Haggai questioned the priests who were accustomed to answering such questions about the transmission of both holiness and impurity. The priests answered correctly according to the law of Moses. Holiness is not contagious, but impurity is. So an easy example for any of you who've been sick recently, a sick child or a sick person cannot catch health (laughs) from contacting a healthy person. But a healthy person can become sick by coming in contact with a sick person. Normally, the principle of transmission only works one way. And we see this next statement. So this people and so this nation before me. The same exact principle applies here to the remnant. It applies to us today. Living in the Holy Land, God bless you, and offering sacrifices would not make people acceptable as long as they themselves were unclean through the neglect of the house of the Lord. The application is this. If we live a lifestyle of conscious, continuous, disobedience to jesus christ we are foolish to think that we would be made right by our service to him it's just saying basically don't play games (laughs) you know don't expect god to bless you and have the favor of the lord upon your life if you're not living a holy set apart life now if you are living a holy life for the lord you should expect great things from the lord from his hand and only you can determine if you're living holy or not because only you know what you really do in secret and in private. What you and I do in secret comes out in public. Can't fake it. Can't, can't rehearse it. <laughs> you know, be sure your sin will find you out. And it's only a matter of time. Even if you get away with something for 30 years. We, I see it all the time. American greed. People that have been rocking dirty for years and all of a sudden some embezzlement some somebody something slips up and all some and oh this dude man they were doing bad that long yeah because be sure your sin will find you out you never i never get away with it never happens ever 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 (laughs) trust me veronica can tell you never get away with it man it just doesn't work don't even try it's just foolish to even think we could do something like that We need to live a life of obedience to Jesus Christ. Why? Because he gave his life for us. And go back to the manger. The whole reason he came. So that we could be redeemed. He knew that we needed redemption. And God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit, they already knew before space and time that they had a plan. Let's redeem humanity. Because I don't want them to go out like that. And he gave his son. They agreed. Jesus, you're going to do this. He's like, all right. Man, that's crazy. He did it. He did it. 
33 and almost a half years, and he lived a perfect life, sinless life. Allowed himself to be hung up on a tree for the redemption of mankind's sins so that we can be forgiven. And now we can enjoy peace with him. We must understand, we were at enmity. There was enmity between us and God, meaning there was, there was, he had a righteous wrath, a righteous indignation towards us because of our sin. And that, that righteous indignation was going to send us to hell. And now we don't have to face hell anymore. And we have the prospect for sure sewn up of eternity with them forever because of his son, Jesus Christ. That's all the reason to live in obedience. You can do whatever you want. See, this, i got to watch what I say because if someone was to, to take this sermon and they want to mar my character, they're just going to edit that out. And be like, you see, he said you could do whatever you want. No, you could do whatever you want within the framework of the Bible and the Bible's teachings and instructions because it's okay. But once you go outside of those boundaries, you better watch it because something bad is going to happen and you're going to get corrected. Yeah, i got to watch what I say. <laughs> someone ever wanted to mess me up, they, you know, that's how they do. They mess with people's character by taking snippets of stuff out of context. So crazy. Man, what manipulation will do to people? There's a huge difference between occasional sin, which everybody, every believer is, is a victim of, and, and to be presumptuous, sinning without regard, and uh, regard to the consequences of our actions. Numbers chapter 15, verse 30 tells us, but the person who does anything with a high hand whether he is to native or a sojourner, reviles the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from amongst his people. We have to understand that we, we need to not live in a way like that. We need to make sure that, that we're calculated in what we do and we bring all of our plans before the Lord. Since their exile in Babylon, the people of Israel focused on getting back to the promised land. That's what they wanted to do. Those re The remnant, their Jew chose that. By itself, this wasn't a bad objective, yet it led to the thinking that once they made it back to the promised land, everything else would be good. Haggai reminded them that their presence in the promised land didn't make anything good or holy just because they went there. That was only part of it. The application is this. If the priorities of our hearts are wrong, nothing we do is holy to God. If the priorities of our hearts are wrong, we could deceive ourselves into thinking we're living a righteous and holy life when all we're doing at best is being like, you know, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And what we're doing is we're systematically, I, I have it all set up. I have these rules and regulations. And so as long as I stay within the rules and regulations of this, then I'm okay. But it's so much beyond that. It's a heart condition. You see, Yes, it is very true that we are saved by grace through faith so that no one may, may boast. We as well, in the same vein, once we are converted, our journey of sanctification begins. We still must walk through this life above reproach to be wise as a serpent, but to be as gentle as a dove. We are to be that way. We typically don't just get saved and immediately die and go to heaven. That's a deathbed confession. Can it happen? Does it happen? Sure. But that's not par the course for the majority of people who get saved. You're not Enoch, neither am I. You ain't just going to get saved and just you don't die and you just go be with the Lord. No, you're going to have to live it out here on this earth. You're going to have to walk it out through the hard times of life, through the valleys and through the mountaintops experiences. You're going to have to walk through it and so am I. There's much work to be done in and through us to glorify God once we get saved. 
You see, that's why we do things. We're saved for good works to glorify our God who is in heaven. So the world can see that God is good. That's why he chose Israel, set apart Israel, so that he, through Israel, through the Jewish heritage, the Jewish people, could reveal his way to the world. The example I can use that's readily available to me right now is it's like marriage. It's like the marriage ceremony. That is the easiest part, man. It's just saying, I do. That's it. That's the easiest part. Everything gets hard after that. And, and when I share all this, my marriage is good. <laughs> I'm not saying this like my marriage is on the rocks. My marriage ain't on the rocks. I love my wife. My life, my wife loves me dearly. But, you know, the reality is this. Once the honeymoon phase subsides, then reality sets in. And a long-suffering love must be applied from each person for a lifetime <laughs> in order to reap the benefits of marriage. It's going to cost you something. <laughs> some people are like, some, some, some wives are like, I didn't grow up with no sports. This dude is a stinking fanatic. <laughs> it's like, I'm not accustomed to all this sportage going on in my household. <laughs> you know, and by the same token, you know, some men are like, I I'm pretty rough and I don't do the I don't do the food network. <laughs> and, you know, and, and these DIY shows is it's uncomfortable. He's like, I, I gotta go to the bathroom. <laughs> I gotta I gotta check on something. But it's like it's that long suffering love. We have to come together and work. There's effort that has to be put in on both ends. And there it's no different with our relationship with the Lord. We don't just get saved. And then that's it. <laughs> you and I get saved and he's fearfully and wonderfully created you in your mother's womb, meaning he's given you some attributes and characteristics and giftings that are very uh, imperative to you. And it's upon you to figure out what those giftings are and utilize those giftings to honor and glorify him. And there's effort that has to take place. You have to do your part. I have to do my part. It's not just we go go hide out in a, in, in a Christian huddle, and that's it. It's like, no, he's like, I may call you out, and you may be out there amongst all kind of wolves, and I'm calling you to stand up for me, and you need to speak the truth into the lives of people that really don't like me. They don't like Jesus, and so they're going to snarl at you, and they're going to revile you because they're reviling and snarling at him. And how are you going to stand strong in the midst of all that if you're not engaged in a very intimate relationship with him where you're girded up, where you're insulated with righteousness because of the time you spend with them. You get what I'm saying? That's why this stuff is important. This is not no social club. And I'm not being militant about it, but I am being real. There is no fine print in Christianity. We don't pull any punches. We tell you exactly what it is up front so you can determine, are you going to have both hands to the plow are you going to have one foot? Because he says, if you have one hand to the plow, you are not fit to follow him. I am not fit to follow him if I am, I like saying that, if I'm loosey-goosey about it. If your name's Lucy, it's no disrespect. It just sounds good. It's an old phrase. We have to have both hands fit to the plow, meaning we're all in. I'm all in, right? If you ever gambled before you got saved, you know all about it. If you ever went to Vegas and you did all whatever, Texas Hold'em, whatever your game was, horn bet on the crap table, I'm all in. What does that mean? You're not holding nothing back. If this don't make it, I'm done. I'm all in, Lord. If you don't make it work, I'm done. 
That's what he's looking for. That is what brings real transformation. That's what opens up the floodgates of heaven. Is your you're all in for Lord, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he's like, that man, that woman, that child I can use. Because he's not limited by our frame of thinking or our intellect or our lack of intellect. I can't stand when people say, I'm not smart. So what, man? Moses couldn't even speak. He used him. He said, man, I spoke to the donkey. He said, man, if we don't praise him, I'm gonna, the rocks are going to shout out and praise glory to who he is. So it's not about you being smart or you being dumb. It's not about that. It's about are you willing? It's about your heart and my heart. All right, 15 and 19. I promise I'll get through this. (laughs) Now then, consider from this day onward. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20 I struck you and all the products of your toil and blight with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward and from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day of the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider is the seed yet in the barn. Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree that have, that have yielded nothing. But from this day on i will bless you oh that's such a good thing to hear he said he went through all this stuff you guys did all this and you were nothing worked out but he says forget that from this day forward i'm going to bless you those experiences of god's chastising were real but unfortunately at the time god's people didn't learn from them difficult times hear me on this church Difficult times don't necessarily bring us closer to God. They should, but it doesn't automatically work like that. The application is this. It's always, and I keep hammering this down because it's, it's, you can't get away from it. It's always a matter of the heart. We either will submit and obey, realizing that our actions or our lack of actions caused destruction and loss in our lives, or we will stubbornly continue to walk in darkness, suffering the consequences of our actions. Just about 40 instances in the Bible, God refers to people as being stiff-necked. 40 times, just about. And about half of those times, he was speaking directly to the people of Israel. Acts chapter 26, verse 14 tells us, And when... We had all fallen to the ground. I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. The great apostle Paul had to hear that. So if he had to hear it, what makes you and I think we're exempt? It is the stubborn pride of people that holds them back from receiving salvation and eternal life in Jesus Christ. That's it. It's the pride of men and women that hold them back from receiving the gift of salvation. It's nothing else. It's, it's the unwillingness to believe that they need to receive something that they can't produce in and of themselves. It's the idea that it's too simple. I need some intellectual, sophisticated way to come to God. That's all other religions. Do, 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 do. And maybe, just maybe, you'll be let in when the time comes. Christianity, true Christianity, is the only world religion that expresses God reaching his hand down 
And regardless of who we are, pulling us up out of the muck and the mire and the filth and the dirt of this world and saying, son, daughter, you're redeemed. It has nothing to do with what we bring to the table. It has everything to do with do we receive it? My son will never go to his birthday parties and not accept any gift. What fool doesn't accept a gift? It's a gift. Receive it. But so many people do not accept it. And that is so sad. And I don't mean to be harsh or, 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 or paint people in a bad light that are like that. But it's just, it, it, it really does. It breaks my heart to see people not receive the gift of salvation. They are deceived. They think they're okay. They think they're okay because their life looks good on paper. Because their life looks good compared to another sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I can't pay your debt. I need my debt paid. We're all sinners. We're all debtors. None of us can pay each other's debt. So it had to be someone else. Take it back to the manger. That's why Christ had to come down, born of a virgin. Why? Because the seed of man is corrupted. So when people say, well, how come, how come Jesus is born of a virgin? I don't even believe it. He should just be born of a woman. Why can't he be born of a man and woman? It can't happen. Our seed is corrupt with sin. So he had to be born of a virgin. It's cool when you start learning all these little intricacies in the word of God. It's like, man, that's just like that whole, the, 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 the you know, the frankincense and the myrrh. Those are, those are, those are burial spices. They brought that because he was going to die. Not to be cute. Anyways, I'm off track. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's that pride that keeps people from receiving the gift of salvation. Last portion of this uh, part of scripture, and we're almost done. But from this day forward, I'll bless you. This is great. This is great. God promised blessing to his people if they would put their priorities back in order with him and his work first. You see, that's the same for us today. If we just put him first. That's the whole thing about first fruits. That's the whole thing about putting him first in all your dealings. It always will work out for you. You will be filled with joy unspeakable if you honor him with all of your life first. Let everything else be secondary. It'll all work out. Everything that needs to be put in, 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 in sequential order, it will work itself out. I tell this to a good friend of mine at work all the time that he struggles with certain things. I said, stop talking about what you need to stop doing and start doing Jesus. You start doing Jesus. You start getting in the word. You start praying. You start making him a priority of your life. All these things you're struggling with, they'll fall off because I'm an example of it. It happened to me. I didn't go to no 12-step group. I didn't go to some psychiatrist. I didn't have to take some, some crazy class. The Holy Spirit came into my life and broke all those bonds off of me. All of those things that were binding me by, by the foothold that I gave to the devil, he broke them all off. Every addiction fell off because I put God first. And, 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 and I just encourage you to do the same. If you're struggling in any area of your life, it's more than likely it's because you're not putting the Lord first. And if you are putting him first, well, then you're just having a Job experience. And it's okay. You're going to end up better for it in the end. It's just, it's just, there's only one or two. You, you know, it's, it's either or the other. You see, nevertheless, the blessings might not come immediately. And he doesn't want us to become, become discouraged, but to trust that from this day forward that he will bless us. And that's the thing, too. A lot of times people think, well, I gave my life to the Lord. Everything's got to come like this. But what, what, do we, what do we have to remember? It's in whose time? 
It's in his time, right? All right, 20 and 22. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders shall go down every one by the sword of his brother. Okay. So it says here, I will shake the heavens and earth and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. It was easy for the returning exiles to feel insignificant in the world as if they were just pawns or spectators. They had gone through a lot. They didn't see much going on in, in, in the promised land. And the temple laid in ruins. But God wanted them to know that though they were small in the eyes of the world, they were servants of the God of all power and they were on the winning side. The application is simply this. If God is for you, all the powers of hell cannot have victory over your life. Somebody needs to embrace that today and tell that to themselves that as long as you're God's, the world cannot come against you. They can't come against you and succeed. They will not prevail. Romans chapter 8 verse 31 says, What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? In regards to the Lord who holds all power in his hands. Praise God. He, praise God. Amen. Praise him. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 25 through 27 tell us this. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At the time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, and that is things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. That's basically just talking about, man, when it all goes down, you and I better be holding on to the rock of Jesus Christ because this is all going to come crashing down and the only thing that's going to stand is Christ and Him crucified. So you put your hope in the foundation of who He is. You will prevail because all this is going to burn up. It's all going to burn up. Whether you die now or whether you whether we get raptured in heaven and go to heaven, it's all going to come crashing down at some point. But we need to make sure that we are founded upon the rock of Jesus Christ. That's how you get through all the trials that you go through in this life right now. If you're going through a season and things, just, let's just be real, they suck. Things suck right now, you know. And it compounds because we're heading into Christmas and, you know, it, it gets crazy because, you know, people think of people that die, what you don't have. Man, you're lonely, this and that. If you're not founded on the rock of Jesus Christ, you're going to suffer even that much more through this holiday season. But if you're founded on the rock of Jesus Christ, you could be with the pork and beans and with your dog that's a scraggly little mutt, and you're going to have the joy of the Lord in your heart because you're founded upon the rock of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, I'll overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. This word of encouragement shows us that Haggai's messages from God were a mixture of rebuke and encouragement. God promised to fight for his people in his day of restoration and rescue. Again, take it back to the manger. I think, I really believe that, that even that message is the same thing. It was a mixture of rebuke and encouragement. Why is it a rebuke? We're sinners? I'm a sinner. Yeah, you're a sinner. And this little baby is going to have to grow up and, be, and, and grow to a man and give his life so that you can be redeemed. 
That's a, that's a mixture of rebuke and encouragement. But the wise person accepts it. The wise, that's why they were called wise men, because they sought after the Lord. They didn't seek after the false gods of Persia. They didn't seek after the false things that left people empty even after they obtained them. They sought after the true and living God, the true King of kings and Lord of lords. Mm-hmm. Last verse, 23. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shelatiel. I finally got that word after like three, four weeks. Declares the Lord and... And, 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 and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Okay, this is really important to understand. Okay, signet ring. In ancient times, ancient kings would use a signet ring to designate authority and honor or ownership. A signet ring contained an emblem, an emblem, excuse me, unique to that particular king. <laughs> Official documents were sealed with a dollop of soft wax impressed with the king's signet, usually kept on his ring finger. The seal certified that the document was genuine, much as a notary public stamp today. Zerubbabel was used as God's signet ring to authenticate the rebuilding of the temple. He says, I have chosen you. Zerubbabel was truly chosen of God. It's important for us to understand as we begin to close who Zerubbabel was. He was the governor to rebuild Jerusalem, the temple in Jerusalem, and he himself had royal blood, being a descendant of King David and the grandson of Judah's King Jehoshan. Years earlier, Jehoshan had lost his throne and he was deported to Babylon. In fact, God pictured Jehoshan as a signet ring being removed, being taken off of God's finger. You can read about that in Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 24. Now God calls Zerubbabel the signet ring, But this time, that signet ring won't be removed. In Haggai's prophecy, God is giving Zerubbabel encouragement and hope. The governor is chosen for a unique and notable purpose. I have a question. Do you know the unique unique purpose that you are chosen by God for today? Think about that. Do you know, personally, what you're chosen for, for God? As God's signet ring, Zerubbabel is given a place of honor and authority God here is basically reinstating the Davidic Davidic line and renewing his covenant with David. Judah still has a future as they look forward to the coming son of David, Jesus Christ the Messiah, who would one day overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. Zerubbabel is also called my servant. This title was also a messianic reference in the Old Testament. Um, in Second Samuel chapter 3, verse 18, and First Kings, in, in the book of Isaiah, you can find out all about that. If we closely look, this triad of servant son and signet ring created a special combination of encouragement for Zerubbabel and his important and difficult task of reconstructing the Jewish temple. I'll end with this last statement as Isaiah and Michelle come up. As God's signet ring, Zerubbabel becomes a picture of the future Messiah, Jesus Christ, who will establish his people in the promised land, construct an even grander temple, and lead the righteous in a never-ending worship. Zechariah chapter 6, verses 12 through 13 says, And say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord, and shall bear royal honor, and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne, and the counsel of his peace shall be between both of them. That's speaking of 
Christ Jesus. For us today, because we have the peace of God the Father and are reconciled through His Son, Jesus Christ, we now have the right to enjoy His peace and fellowship with Him now and forever. We're able to be called children of God. For that, we say amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank You. Lord, thank You for Your love. Thank You for your care, your guidance. Thank you for your son, Jesus. As we are on the eve of Christmas coming up, Lord, we just recognize that it's only by you that we are made right. May we embrace the fact that we have sweet fellowship with you. May we never lose sight of that. Lord, may you build us up so that we can be a blessing to those around us. May we never be ashamed to say, Merry Christmas. You cannot take Christ out of Christmas. Father, we love you. And we thank you. It's in your son Jesus Christ's precious name.